1: This is Terrio Media. Will the recession affect real estate? That's a question on many homeowners and real estate investors' minds. You know, rising inflation and interest rates are impacting everything from food and energy, the stock market, and employment. But will it affect real estate? Let's take a look. You ready? Let's go. Welcome to the all-new epic real estate investing show. The longest-running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs. Your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to REIace.com. Here's Matt. All right. So by the time we're done, you're going to know how the recession could affect real estate and what there is for homeowners and real estate investors to do about it. So as you likely know, the housing market has experienced over 10 years of exceptional growth, where the median home price jumped an incredible 117% as of March, 2022. So this rate of growth has only been outpaced by the home price growth in the decade before the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009, where home values rose 121%. Home prices continue to rise, having reached an all-time high of $407,600 in May. Despite signs of slowing demand thanks to rising mortgage rates, it seems nothing is stopping this red-hot market from soaring. But a recession might. You now, although we're not technically in a recession as of this recording, several experts believe we are already in one and the rest believe a recession is inevitable. And the impact of a recession, it can be felt across the entire economy, everywhere from employment to spending to stock market volatility, as we're all witnessing at the moment. With regard to the real estate market, we are seeing a slowing right now but we've yet to see any sort of correction in the national median sales price. I mean, we're certainly seeing a pullback in the stock market, but historically speaking, stock market and real estate crashes or even corrections aren't guaranteed to happen during a recession. In fact, falling prices are less common than you may think. Aside from the Great Recession and the recession of 1990, home prices have remained steady or even risen during the last five recessions. High mortgage rates can deter people from buying, but as the recessions of the 80s and the 90s showed us, when rates reached levels as high as 18%, demand nor prices didn't suffer much at all. It's demand and affordability that has more of an impact on the real estate market than anything else. You know, in 1980, the median income was close to 45% of the median home price. And today, that number sits right around 30%. Suggesting real estate is less affordable today. And that's the best number for us to pay attention to if we're going to make any predictions about the housing market. Now, if I were a gambling man, and I am to some degree, I'd say a significant deceleration in the housing market is very likely, despite the surge in wages that we saw in 2021. You see, with wage growth still close to double the pre-pandemic rate, wages are still not keeping pace with inflation, home prices, or rent rates. So, it's pretty easy to see how the rising interest rates will cut deeply into the average person's affordability to purchase real estate. The trend is already showing that the demand for housing is cooling, of which should it continue, we should see prices pull back to more affordable levels, but still, maybe not. And here's why. You See, although the demand is decelerating, it hasn't yet been enough to reverse the pricing. The number of closed sales, that's dipped, but the prices have yet to. And certainly, we're, we're seeing price reductions of homes that are for sale, but we're not yet seeing a reduction in the prices of homes that have actually sold. That's a big distinction, one that could mislead people about the current health of the real estate market if they overlook that detail. The decelerating demand, this is getting most of the headlines these days, but it's an incomplete picture unless the supply is also considered. With more than a decade of dramatically reduced home builds, coupled by four straight months of declining builder confidence, the limited housing supply for sale, that could keep the market propped up for some time. Even if a recession were to last multiple years, that's how out of balance the supply and demand dynamic is. With all that said though, this time could be different because the Federal Reserve usually lowers interest rates during a recession to help make the cost of borrowing more affordable and spur more economic activity, particularly within the housing market. But that's not an option today, considering the Fed's move to aggressively raise rates to combat skyrocketing inflation after the pandemic-related recession. The continued increase in energy, gas, and food costs is weighing and will continue to weigh on consumers, making housing less and less affordable than it already is for most people. Further, a recession, which is usually marked by high unemployment, could cause people to list their homes as they lose their jobs or relocate for new ones. This could also lead to higher rates of foreclosure, which would add to inventory levels, of which should translate to a reversal in prices. But despite the recent murmurs of the foreclosure tsunami that's headed our way, it's not even wetting our toes at the moment compared to pre-pandemic rates of foreclosure. The experts, the media, The Twitter warriors are all calling for a housing crash, but it's unlikely that we'll see a massive drop in values like we did during the Great Recession. Rather, certain markets that are overpriced for the median income of the area are more likely to see prices slump for a while, and others are likely to see demand and price growth continue, maybe just at slower rates. So, what are home buyers and real estate investors to do amid an imminent recession? Well, it depends. Are you a long-time investor? or are you a speculator trying to time the market? You know, if you're a speculator, it's realistic to think there will be a window of opportunity in the near future to pick up cheaper property. So, selling now to buy back in later, whether, you know, 6 months or 18 months from now, could prove profitable. But will it be profitable enough for the effort involved and the risk of timing it wrong? Investors and homeowners that are worried about losing value in their real estate should find comfort in just taking a deep breath and shifting to a long-term focus. You know, despite correct and crashes of the past, real estate values have always rebounded, not to mention exceeding previous highs. As of right this very moment, we're at an all-time high. So, what that means is if you purchased real estate a month ago or before, you're in the black regardless of mortgage rates, inflation or a pending recession. Whatever pullback we do see in real estate prices will likely be minor and short-lived due to the gross lack of inventory. In fact, if you have a long-term vision for real estate based on the supply and demand dynamic in the market where we have many more people than we have houses and it will be that way despite a recession for a very long time, there's little logic to justify pulling back on your own investing activity as it's very likely that real estate investors swim easily through this economic turmoil while those sitting on the sidelines playing it safe trying to wait this thing out drown. If you'd like to dive deeper into what it takes to find off-market real estate deals and purchase them without the need of expensive bank financing, you'll probably like what I've put up for you over at reiace.com. Take a look. And if you like what you see, just answer a few questions about you and your ambitions and then pick a time for us to hop on the phone. We'll brainstorm some ideas about you winning in real estate during a recession, regardless of how long it may last.
0: Thanks for sitting tight while we pay our light bill. We'll be back right after this.
1: Ever hear someone say, I have too much money? Me neither. Let's get you some more. Back to the show. We're going to talk about how to invest in multifamily properties. We don't do that very much here, but I know a lot of you are interested. I've heard it and I've seen it. And so, you know what? I think it's a good time to start talking about it. We'll even cover how you can do it with no money. And that's my favorite way to do real estate. So we're going to cover that today with our special guest, my guest. Has been investing in real estate for over 15 years now. Uh, he started in single family, small multifamily properties, and eventually working his way up to large 100 plus unit multifamily buildings. And before entering into those large buildings, he had wholesaled over 200 single family properties. He fixed and flipped over 150 also and developed and completed several new development projects, over $20 million in ground up construction. Got a ton of experience. And he also started and built a construction company, bringing in over $30 million in yearly revenue and growing. He's now an active and passive full time multifamily real estate investor. And his company Elevate currently has 5,812 doors and uh, $325 million under management. So those assets are located throughout Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, and South Dakota. And now he dedicates a big portion of his time helping others follow in his footsteps to duplicate his results. So please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Jorge Abreu. Jorge, right, welcome to the real Estate Investing Show. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to, nice to meet you. I see that uh, we've got a ton of mutual friends, although this is our first time ever meeting. So I wanted to talk to you about that. And uh, I'm curious, is I know a lot of people here that watch this show, you know, they're getting their start or they're looking ways for ways to get in and get their start. Did you start with multifamily? You kinda
0: of said you started with single family, moved your way up, right? And I'm wondering Cur- why you Cur- missed- I went all in on, on the single family, you know, started doing it uh full time now about fifteen years ago. And I wanted to scale. I wanted to do very high volume and, and grow the company. And I kept hitting some brick walls and, and with the single family and doing that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one of them was finding other contractors and that's why I brought that in house. And that that helped for a bit. But um, I was only able to do so many. So when I got introduced to multifamily syndications, Mm -hmm. kind of blew my mind because before that, I thought, okay, well, these investors that are buying these apartments, I mean, they're, they must be coming in with millions of dollars. But then Mm -hmm. when somebody explained to me what you can syndicate that and you can bring in other investors to come partner with you and uh, purchase properties that way. Also, oh, got it. Cool. I've had up to three hundred single families
1: at one point. I have a lot less now, but I maybe it's kind of the same thing that you had. Was um, you're thinking like, "Well, I've got all these properties. Look at a multifamily; it's just a bunch of properties under one roof." Like it, it seemed like it was an easy transition. It seemed like it was it was going to be easy for me, and I got my ass handed to me on my very first <laughs> deal. <DR>. So <laughs> it was more than just the. Uh, a bunch of single-family houses under one big roof, right? And so if I were to do it all over again, I know what I would do. Uh, If you were going to make that transition all over again, what would you do?
0: My first one wasn't that easy either. It was was 37 units, and because of that size, we weren't able to have the on-site staff. So I had to be very hands-on. I learned a lot from the process, but... I would start with a hundred plus units. I know it sounds like a a lot, especially if you're coming from single family, but just the fact that you can have the onsite staff and and with a hundred maybe, maybe 80 units, but you know, like I said, about a hundred units, you can support one in and one out. So, you know, somebody for maintenance and then somebody for leasing and, and managing the property, that's definitely one, one change I would do. Got it. Yeah. So a hundred years, you start with a hundred years, you would start bigger. Yep.
1: You know, the first one was a struggle. You think a hundred would be easier or it was just, they're both equally a struggle. So you might as well go big.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of the same amount of work. And honestly, I think the, the smaller units is, is more work. I see. Yeah. I mean, you've got to manage on well, the bigger units you are managing the staff versus actually managing the operating. And there are some property managers that, that will manage still smaller ones, but it becomes hard to, to profit them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. way. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Also, <laughs> I, I learned to, well, what my lesson would have been was, and I didn't necessarily experience this on single families, but on the multifamily, when it comes to rehab, just come up with your budget and double it is how how it came up for I me. Mean, you got to plan to double it because we just got, one thing after another, one surprise after another, and got nickel and dimed all the way to where we are like, wow, we uh, went right through that budget. We need a whole a brand new one.
0: Yeah. That's all we've gotten harder now with the supply chain issues. Yeah, I COVID I and, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So speaking of, of the supply chain of the market, uh, what, what do you see in the real estate market
0: and, and where are you directing your attention right now? You know, there's still very high demand for, for housing in general. We're able to increase our rents on, on most of our property right now um, with quite a bit of ease. I don't think that's going to last. It's definitely going to last at the rate it's been going. I mean, we, we've been adding probably 15 to 20% rent increases on, on our portfolio. So we're definitely not projecting that on any new acquisitions that we're looking at. But the, the hardest thing has been dealing with the the debt and with the the market has done to to financing these deals um, you know it, it was before you could get really attractive loans now they they tighten up quite a bit so we're having to get a little more creative on on our capital stack and, and our the amount of money we're having to bring to deals is is increasing but I still think there there's good deals out there I think there's gonna be more popping up there's gonna be possibly with with these adjustable rates some operators getting into trouble and and needing to sell. Mm -hmm. what are some of the creative ways you are using to
1: fund your deals right now since rates have increased?
0: Bringing in private equity, we've got uh, some institutional money that uh, we've got relationships with and using that to kind of fill that gap between Mm -hmm. the common equity, the debt, and just putting in that institutional in the middle. Got it. So to stay, um, congruent with the, the show, if
1: someone wanted to get started in, in multifamily and they were short on funds,
0: what would be the, uh, the best approach or the most effective approach for them to take? The thing that surprised me about multifamily, and I didn't know that getting in, into it was it's really, especially the syndication, um, multifamily syndication, it's a team game. Like there's a lot of partnerships going on. Most of our deals, we've got some partners in there, whether, they brought us the deal, or maybe they helped us with some of the equity and whatnot. So, if you're starting out, I would say you need to pick what you really do. If it's finding deals, then go out there, find some multi deals, and if you bring that to another uh um, operator, they can pretty much do everything from there. You know, they can sign on loan. They can these are we we can you know we'll we'll sign on loan. We'll. Bring the equity, we'll do everything else if you can bring us a deal mm-hmm. uh same thing with if if you're really good at raising equity or you think you might then you have a a network that pizza into, you can bring that to other operators uh, or syndicators and let them know, hey, look, I think I can raise a million dollars or two million dollars. How can I help you on a deal So that would be one way to get into a deal without any money right right Give your own money it's really no. Different than,
1: than single family when it comes to that, right? It doesn't take any money to find a deal and have a deal. There's typically no shortage of funds that are willing to
0: participate in it, right? Pretty awesome. much. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say, I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, find the deal and the money will come. Yeah. I say that all the time. I've been saying it for 15 years. <laughs> okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, to certain, about that. <laughs> I think to a certain extent, right? You need to. <laughs> plant those seeds and have those relationships, obviously. That's the only part I want to skip over. I do see some syndicators kind of skip over that and think, oh, if I get a deal, you know, it's just going to (laughs) come.
1: Well, I'm not saying it's just going to start falling out of the sky, right? Right. Right. I mean, if you have a deal that makes money, then there's a lot of people out there with money that want to make money that don't have deals,
0: right? And so I got to share your deal with somebody. But it takes a a little bit of time to... uh, at least with us to feel comfortable with that person and um go into a partnership with them. So all I would say is, you know, start claiming those we'll see before you even have that sure. deal. Well if I had a deal and I, we just met, can I just wholesale it to you? Like I wholesale a, a single family? Not really. I haven't bought one multifamily apartment on, from a wholesaler. You can't um, do that? You're saying you can't do that? You can. But it's a lot harder with, with multifamily. It's the contracts are not simple. The terms that, that you're agreeing to vary quite a bit. So mm-hmm. things would have to align pretty, pretty well. And a lot of the times it, it's weird. Uh, they say they're both sending a deal, but they don't even have it under contract. They, they just, well, they know somebody that, that knows I'm somebody. I'm talking that.
1: about that guy. I'm talking about the one that does okay. have it.
0: So if you and do have it on a contract
1: and it's going to make you money, then that's, yeah. you can do that. Right. You could, It could, if you set it up right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wait, so let's talk about like what a deal is. Cause really, what the, the caveat there, I, when I say frequently and I say it ad nauseum, that if you find the deal, the money will bind you. All right. But then I always, I always follow it up with if you can't find the money, there's what's well, for one of two reasons either you didn't share it with enough people, or two, mm-hmm. it's not a deal. Right. <laughs> Correct. Right. I mean, I've never had a deal that was going to make money with that, it had equity or it was cash flow nicely, and that, uh, that there wasn't money available for it. I'd have to believe if you shared it with enough people, even if it wasn't you or you had it, do a little bit more investing on who you're buying it from. There's plenty of people out there that were ready. I mean, not there, there's people watching on this channel right now. They're like, how do I get it? How do I get it? And you got to have a deal. I'm trying to make it happen. Right. But so that's my yeah. context. Either you haven't shared it with enough people or it's not a deal. But I know I with it. I know with multifamily, there are another, a bunch of more variables that constitute what a deal is. Like for a single family, I just need to get at a low price. or I need to have a great cash flow position. I can typically find the money with no problem. But it's as you were alluding,
0: probably that it's not that simple with multifamily. So what makes a multifamily property a good deal? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you took some of the stuff I was going to say right there. You know, single family it's pretty straightforward. If it's yeah. a good deal or not, we look at the comps and to get to buy what you're buying it for mm-hmm. and what you need to put into it. And it's a deal or it's not. And multifamily, there's so many. Different variables, like you said, that you can pull on and, and play with on the high level, make something look like a deal. But mm-hmm. once you dig into the underwriting and the assumptions that are being used for those projections, mm-hmm. that's where it gets tricky. Cause I mean, you change an exit cap rate and you can take a horrible deal and make it look like a good deal. You put some rent growth that isn't um, feasible into your underwriting, you know, it looks like a good deal, but it's not really. So it's, it's all on the assumptions that are made on on the performance, really. And if those are realistic assumptions, and then the returns that it's spitting out are in line with what you're looking for, for your investors. So, you know, we're usually looking for 16% or above on the IRR and um, most of our deals we're going to project in five years, years out, right, right? Correct. correct. Or if we're 20% annual okay. return, pretty much double an in investor's money in five years is kind of like okay. our standard that we, that we look for. So if a deal is hitting that and the assumptions are realistic, to me, it's a deal. Okay. When a
1: deal comes to you and it looks good on paper, what are some of the more common ways that, uh, you discover to be the deal breakers as far as those assumptions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned some of those, so the, the exit cap rate, which is what's going to give you your, your value when you sell, um, is one that's easy to adjust your rent growth, which I also mentioned, uh, your expenses at the same time. Like, it, right. uh, okay, you know, it's not after expenses, I think what else your, your debt is going to play a big part. You know, I talked about debt earlier. If you're putting, you know, substance on your debt that you just can't get in the market right now. then obviously that, that doesn't make sense. Those are probably the major ones. I mean, there's a lot okay. of other, you know. Well, then I mean, it's not too different than single family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right?
1: Okay. Right. Cool. We're talking about what constitutes a the deal, but how do we find one? So let's see. I got a couple that that. This is generic name. Is that French? Oh, it's generic name. Got it. Uh, important. important. It's to yeah.
0: find multifamily deals, best locations to buy multifamily. So how do you find your deals? How do we find our deals? Okay. So I'll tell you how we find them and, and some of that is our, our traffic record helps the fact that we've closed a lot of deals and, and people know who we are in the multi space. So we, we get a lot of referrals, a lot of referrals from brokers, a lot of referrals from other investors. That's how we get the bulk of our stuff. Now I will tell you at the beginning. We brought over a lot of the the stuff from single family. We cold call. That's how we got our first two deals. We sent out letters. We didn't have a lot of success with that, but I feel like we, we could have, if you really, you really want to target something and just, you know, send it over and over and over. You could maybe have success with that. And then building both the relationships. Is really the main ones. Uh, you know, there's other like maybe building relationship with some of the vendors in the multi-family space, whether it's property managers, attorneys. Um, they can also look for you some business. Got it. But I think some, they asked about locations as well. Yeah. There's some um, locations that are
1: better than others right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, especially where the, with the market and softening, you definitely want to be. Any good strong market with with strong fundamentals that has population growth, that has a uh, job growth. And I know I'm saying really generic stuff, but I mean it's I think it's common sense. And you then the landlord,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: landlord friendly states. I mean I, I I don't pay any attention to the others. Um just too many variables that I can't control in in the other states. So uh we've got a lot of success, kinda I'll give you one tip here. So we'll find a city that is experienced a lot of that growth, but is really hot, right? The market's super hot hard to find a good deal. Well, we kinda go on the outskirts of that city and find the the ones that are growing with it, right? From the expansion and then get a good deal there. And it's it's, it's we've got a lot of success with it. Sweet. East of Mississippi has the highest returns, what do you think? Uh, I would say, I don't, I don't know enough. You know, I would have to look into it. I haven't looked too much into Mississippi, but see, I would be surprised. The, this is east of the river, right? Is the word I imagine she's saying. Thank you for question, Jay. But you are in, well, you're in Georgia. So are your Georgia properties doing better than your Texas properties? We exited that Georgia property and we did pretty darn good. We doubled our, more than doubled our investors' money in one year so. Maybe that's right. <laughs> right. We've oh, got one are. in South Carolina right now that's, that's doing really well as well. Go
1: right.
0: Jay's got the tips. Here's another question. This is a good one. A lot of people think about this, but
1: this is probably even a bigger question with multifamily. How do you calculate the repair cost on multifamily without being there?
0: Do you have a quick and dirty math formula or do you have to actually go there? Being there. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely am, am able to guess the mate by looking at pictures and, and, I'll tell you this that the renovations on multifamily is a lot more straightforward than in single family. you know you're looking at the same deferred maintenance wise you're looking at your your roofs, your exterior walls, your concrete, foundation, glumbing, electrical, so I mean it's the same stuff over and over and over. as far as a ballpark number and, and how to look at it roughly, I mean. We usually do somewhere between five thousand per unit to ten thousand per unit just depending well, on what condition it's in how old it is
1: and essentially yeah, just evaluate it. unit and kind of multiply that across and that can get you pretty close
0: for sure with the interior units and then you just got to throw in some of that mm-hmm. uh, deferred maintenance on the
1: stock floor mm-hmm. and her maintenance and then some of the common area stuff and yeah the, the yeah. shared utility stuff like that sweet all right so What are you most excited about right now heading into uh, this unforeseen territory that we are with this market?
0: I'm excited about, uh, I hate saying this, but I mean, look, it's, we've been on such an up and up with this market, right? And we've been leaning a lot on our track record and and relationships. But now with the market kind of turning, we're actually able to negotiate and, and really hunt some of these deals. I just really enjoy that. So, kind of looking forward to that. You know, I've already seen a lot of buyers drop off, a lot less buyers for for some of the properties that we're going after. So, I feel like now's the time to really get in at a good low basis and then um, experience it on the way back up. Right. Right. No, I am. Um, I'm noticing already in my
1: office too. I've been those about, about six, eight weeks ago. Just the conversations from sellers were different when they were just like my price are that way really tight conversations that I've experienced for so long. All of a sudden like, well, talk more about that creative the financing thing you got going on over there. Right? Yeah. Where there was used to be just they'd have they'd be like this on to me on the phone and not wanting to hear anything. But yeah, I'm seeing that type of opportunity. Um, we just did a workshop on, on Saturday and spent nine hours discussing how we we're gonna pivot in this new market and how the new plans we gotta make and how we're actually gonna generate profits and um so there is let's see jay's got a question here and this is good i think we kind of we as real estate investors when we're talking and t- publicly we kind of take for granted that everyone knows exactly what we're talking about right and i think we hear the word like cap rate thrown around all the time so can you please explain compress cap rates i'm not sure even what that means so you have to uh, educate me on that like las vegas is four to five units and bad neighborhoods are trading at six caps so let's Talk about what a cap rate is first and then let's answer jay's question specifically
0: yeah so cap rate is the, is the way the values are determined in mosey family so in any given market at any given time you have the going cap rate in that market and that's telling you essentially what that property from day one how that property is performing the higher the cap rate is going to be to lower the price the lower the cap rate the higher your price because you're going to take your net operating incomes and you're going to divide it by that cap rate a compressed cap rate means that they're shrinking and the values are going up so we were getting a ton of compressed cap rates um people buying deals at two two percent or two to three percent which buying that deal that means that it's not really producing much of anything as cap flow so hopefully you've got a plan to add value and that's how then you get a stabilized tap rate that's higher. But yeah, especially in the class C. So I'm not sure if everybody knows class A, class B, and class C, but your class C is usually your 1980s and older properties. And then 1980 to 2000 is your class B. And then 2000 to now is the class A. Not that simple, but something like that. Usually your class C have a higher cap rate than your class B's, but as the cap rates are getting compressed, the class C was getting closer to the class B. So that's why they're saying, you know, these bad neighborhoods at a 6 tap. I'm sure those are C-class properties, maybe even D-class properties. So those are the ones, you know, we've really started kind of staying away from now just because we feel like it's gonna, expand. So to end. The cap rates, the cap rates are going up, we call that an expansion. Yeah. I'm not sure if that explained it, yeah. but Yeah.
1: I mean, explain it pretty good. Yeah. I get it. I understand now. So yeah. the, the C and B properties are kind of selling for the same rate, the same price. And you, but you're going to have a
0: price, right? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing a lot more class A now and yeah. some class B. We, we still got some, you know, I'll still go and buy class C. Mm-hmm. I just, I really want to get it at a low basis.
1: Is it the neighborhood that makes the uh, makes it a class C or the condition of the
0: property? Right. So I split it up in two different ways. I, I, I consider there's different class of location and different class of property because mm-hmm. you could have a class C property in a class B location, which actually is ideal because I mean you can pour money into that class C and bring it up to a class B right. condition wise. That'd be a good situation. Uh, yeah. Cool. All right. So yes, explain it.
1: Jay, you invited? Let's connect. I don't have any investor friends here locally. We're marketing here. So I'm trying to do deals here. Um, I've been a long time since I've been able to uh, do deals in my whole backyard. So when I moved here a few years ago and uh, we started going, but it's, it's a, a different type of market. I have no problem doing them in, in the Midwest. Um, no problem in the South, but it's competitive on the coast and here Vegas more, especially. Uh, let's see. She's asking, uh, do you recommend staying out of Vegas,
0: L.A., San Francisco, New York, New York City? L.A., San Francisco, New York City? Absolutely. I I wouldn't touch it. Vegas is different. Um, Wouldn't
1: touch it. Okay, That's the most convicting statement that you've said yet. Why wouldn't you touch it?
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, I I mentioned landlord-friendly states. That's where we focus. L.A., San Francisco, New York are not landlord-friendly. You want to show right? It's statewide uh rent control now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Vegas, uh Vegas has uh, been a good market for multi family I personally haven't done anything there, and I would have to dig in a little further, but I do know mm-hmm. other investors that are pretty active there.
1: Sweet. All right. Well, cool. So in your business right now, what do you need most? What are you missing? What do I need how most? How can we help? Maybe the community can
0: help you. Yeah, I mean, we're we're always looking for Co-GPs or partners that, that can bring equity to our deals. What's a uh, Co-GP? So in a multifamily syndication. Yeah, you have general okay. partners and, and limited partners. So okay. and usually the ones bringing the equity are just limited partners, silent partners, mm-hmm. in other words, and then your general partners, which are the active ones running a deal, mm-hmm. general partners that, that can bring some equity to our deals. Um, we've got a lot of deal flow. A lot in our pipeline so we can always use help on the equity okay so if someone came in with some equity what would they expect to receive in return so we break it down a lot of different responsibilities so we don't want somebody that's just going to bring equity for sec that doesn't quite line up um, with with their rules and regulations so we would want to see what else they bring to the table when i say that you know it could be bringing maybe some of the earnest money or being boots on the ground or playing some type of active role in the asset management of the property once we close on it. So it would, it would just vary. I mean, I would say anywhere from 5% of the general partnership to, I don't know, maybe, you know, we, we would at least like to have uh 60%, so maybe like 40% max, depending on what they're bringing. 60, 40% what? Ownership?
1: Ownership, yeah. Okay. So then you're your big road. You have a piece of ownership, but then you be responsible for the management and the production and the, the, for how the property produces, right? Correct. Got it. Correct. Okay, sweet. All right, so let's take one more question. I would uh, make at least a 15 cap in Vegas because they're not found. They are created. So, yeah, what are you, what are you looking for? Like, what are the big opportunities that you look for that you can um, increase the cap
0: rate? increasing the tap rate. There's so many ways, you know, to add value to a property. Uh One is renovating the interior units and asking for more rent, you know, bringing the existing rent up to the market rent. If it's, if it's under it, adding units, if there's any way to, you know, take over, we've taken over office space before or units that are just being used for storage and put them back online. We adding carports and then funding for for the parking spaces, implementing uh, internet and getting a profit share from providing that internet to, to our residents, lowering expenses, you know, figuring out ways to, to lower the expense and, and be more efficient with it. How big of an impact our, are, like, down? Um, what I hear all the time, like vending machines or the laundry room, adding storage facilities. Storage. Yes. Storage is, is a big one. If you can, figure out a way out, to billboard on this on the roof uh i haven't done billboards i know some properties that, that do have them i would say laundry is you, you need to make it friendly to your residents and then want them to use it and, and make I mean, sure it's clean all this time i've been putting in
1: angry laundry rooms and that's why i lost
0: <laughs> what do
1: you mean friendly correct.
0: laundry room i mean <laughs> Oh man, I'm just thinking of all of the classing properties. like it, you don't want to be in the laundry room. It's just it's it's hot, it's ugly. Um so making it, it inviting and oh and safe. Uh, safe, inviting, clean, yeah.
1: Yeah. all um, right.
0: Vending machines. Nah. Uh, I think maybe it depends on what, what class, maybe on a class A and, and depending on what type of vending. I think probably. I would think parking and storage would probably be your biggest bang for your buck right right those are those are pretty good yeah. and then stuff that that that's already getting done like i mentioned internet you know your residents are already paying for internet you might as well help them and you actually get it faster you get the better deals for internet for cheaper than they can get on their own so what about appliances is that is that a profit center it is uh washer and dryers can can definitely be um if you have the hookups and then you provide the equipment. You know, having the hookups alone is also another income. You can charge to just for having the hookups. And then if you supply the equipment, you can also charge for that. So yeah, that's a good one. Sweet. Well, all right, it's been a pleasure. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, we have a ton of free content and information on our website, which is Elevate CID. Stands for Commercial Investment Group. So Elevate all uh, right. And then if they want to go ahead and email me, it's Jorge or Jord, J-O-R-T-E at com, And I can send them an email with a bunch of free content as well. Sweet. All righty. So yeah, I've got a huge single family,
1: creative finance audience here. and uh, But a lot of them asking questions about multifamily all the time. And I just have to defer to the experts because, uh, boy, you don't, want, you don't want my advice on it. In fact, I give advice. I hope you, you family, do the opposite and you'll probably be just fine. <laughs> there <you> anyway, go. <laughs> all right, I appreciate you. It was nice meeting you and let's do this again, all right? Awesome, thank you, man. Yeah. yeah, take care. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would and when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. health, Peace, blessings, and success to you, Amaterial. Living oh. the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. We did no whole world. We got cash flow.